0: Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started.
1: Welcome back, Catherine. It's good to see you, or at least see your screen. Thank
2: you, everyone. Thank you. Your song taught me something. Uh, my father said I sent you that to that school you don't like for a reason. And now it's why you're working where you are. And my brother got a very great job at General Motors. And my father had sent him to a Catholic Academy and I never connected it until you played <laughs> that song.
1: That's great. That's great. I love that. Uh, Let me put the lyrics up again for folks to see. It's the second chorus. You know, it's a little cynical. While the Pope owns fifty-one percent of General Motors, and the stock exchange is the only thing he's qualified to quote us. Great, great uh, uh, English uh, uh, cynicism there. I like that. Well, I like the song. I didn't play it just because I like it. I I played it because I think it's uh, it's kind of what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Um, But that that was his practice. You know, he he, it's essentially a. uh, it's uh it's a hari krishna song you know george was uh, you probably know that some of you better than i do some of you were were around while it was happening <laughs> but uh you know but that that, that lovely idea you know uh, just chant in the names of the lord and you'll be free so uh, we're going to come back to that a little bit later um and maybe it's just that easy i don't know maybe it's that easy i guess we'll find out um Nice to see folks and some some we can't see, but we're glad you're here anyway. Um, Anyone have anything from the last week? Anything bubble up? Anything you've been thinking about since the last session, about the last session, about something else? Anything you wanna share or say, or before we kind of launch? Great, I guess I I'll actually take- actually
0: had several things. <laughs> Let's go. And I Let's can't go. remember them now.
1: <laughs> Ah, interesting.
0: Um, I'll I'll send you an email if they come back to my mind.
1: <laughs> okay, all right. Well, and if one of them pops up in the next hour, just jump in. You know, we'll be fine.
0: Thank you. <laughs> it's
1: nice to see you, Natalie.
0: Thank you. You too.
1: So, in la- the last session, uh, people who were here may remember. Um, uh, we ended. Aglaya asked this great question. Uh, or did she? Didn't ask a question. She she made an observation about about music about what happens when you uh when you become fluent um and I said uh I said, um I said because it's all God and I said that's where we're gonna pick it up next week so I that's where I, I that's what I said I was gonna do so that's that's where we're gonna pick it up um gonna pick it up with that phrase because it's all God and we're gonna move this this session we're at four out of six now. the first three have been somewhat theoretical just trying to kind of contextualize um the just to contextualize the title of the course that's all i've been doing for the last three weeks is just explain uh what what it was i had in mind when i called the course practicing judaism in the 21st century rereading the torah as a spiritual handbook um and and today and then for the next two sessions we'll shift more into the uh into the practice you know i went one time i went on uh went on retreat a number of times um, and one of the teachers always used to say show don't tell um and uh, reminded me that almost without exception whenever it seems like it there's an either or the truth is it's both um so uh I, i like i like the uh the grade school version show and tell. I think the first half of the course has been kind of telling a little bit to try to, you know, orient us. And the second half will be a little bit, I guess, showing might be a little bit conceited, but, uh, but just maybe a little guidance and and we'll do some practice together, very simple practices, um, to take some of these ideas and, and, and convert them into, into experiences. So, uh, so that's where it's at. Uh, so we closed last time because it's all God. So let's see what we, what we can do uh, with that. So you'll remember, I'm not going to summarize uh, the, fir- the first three classes. I'll just boil it down to the core. You remember, right? The, I proposed the, the, the reason, the purpose we might practice Judaism. I might say the purpose we might do anything. Uh, it is very simple. Wake up, do good. Um, I imagine I don't have to tell anybody here that you all know that. Um, but uh, but that's really it. Uh, if if you're asleep, wake up, and if you're awake, do good. That's it. It's a very simple, um, very simple prescription for life. You could you could essentially boil every waking moment down to a binary decision. You know, am I, am I awake? <laughs> no. Okay, wake up yes do good that's a very simple very simple um and uh which by the way you know i think many of us probably know about suffering from decision fatigue you know too many decisions to make if we could if we could just kind of distill you know the the apparently complex lives that we have down to these 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 two choices i think we'd be we'd be in good shape um it's like uh it's like a, there's a text I, I I've been quoting my whole life, you know, from uh, from the Talmud, um, attributed to Rava, who was a second century sage, and Rava said, Tachlit Chokma, the purpose of wisdom, Chuvah umasim tovim, repentance and good deeds. Same thing, same thing, right? In every moment, you basically have two choices. One, oops, did I screw up? I have to make I have to make it right. That's Chuvah. Or if I don't have anything, I have to make right, do good. That's it. You know, life becomes very simple when you're able to get it down to that level of simplicity. So I guess maybe this is inspired by Rava. You know, wake up, do good, um, and you could say, in a certain sense, that waking up is really what tshuva is. It's really what it is, right? That that sense of returning is is coming back, coming back to what we are. So, so let's just for a moment just sit with the first half of that waking up, right? Just a reminder: what are we waking up to in the in the Jewish Tradition, there are, there are lots of other answers, but this is a, this is a course about, uh, about practicing Judaism in the Jewish tradition waking up is, is about this, right? Vayikatz Yaakov Mishnato, Jacob awoke from his sleep, couldn't be more clear about that. Vayomer, yesh Adonai b'makom achen, right? Behold, surely, yesh Adonai b'makom hazeh. surely Adonai. It really, yes. It's like there is adonai in this place. Okay, that's what waking up in Judaism means, right? If if you don't know that there is adonai in this place, then you're asleep. That's it, right? Of course, of course. What's adonai? Okay, we're gonna get to that. That's 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 a question. But but on a on an intuitive level, we understand this this notion, right? By the way, there's a practice for you. Now we're getting to the to the practice, right? There's a practice. You could memorize that phrase. Achen yesh ma By the way, it's non-gendered, so it works for everybody, right? Or you could you could memorize the English. Surely Adonai is in this place. And five, 10, 20 times a day. I mean, what does it take? Three seconds? You could just pause, gather yourself, and say either out loud or think in your mind. Simple practice, simple practice. Um, and then the end of the verse, it's tantalizing. It says, So, you know, usually translated and I did not know. Those that know Hebrew will know that uh, there's a redundancy in the in the in, the, in the, those three words, and I, and I anochi is one of those special words for I, personal pronoun lo yadati and i did not yadati is 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 the reflexive form of no i and i did not i did not know the 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 person the personal pronoun is doubled right um so sometimes poetically people translate it as and i i did not know um and that's very nice but I would like to just offer a, a third translation, a much more literal translation for Anuchi loyadati And Anochi was not known to me. And Anochi was not known to me. If you don't know that Yesh Adonai ba Azeh, then Anochi is not known to you. Okay? Anochi is not known to you. Now I have to say a few things about what Anochi means. Yes, Anochi is a, is a personal pronoun, I. But... People may recognize that word. Interestingly, it's the first word of the Decalogue. It's the first word of the Ten Commandments, right? Misnomer, but we'll use that name for the time being, right? Anochi Adonai Elohecha asherotzi ticha me'eretz mitzrayim. I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. Anochi, right? So what this could mean is Yesh Adonai, but Yadati. and Anochi I didn't know. I didn't know the the Anochi version, the aspect of God that is Anochi, right? Which is in some way maybe synonymous with Adonai, with Yudhei Hey right? Right here. Okay, that's one way. Another way of reading it is, Anochi can also be read if you um, if you read through the Torah. It's an interesting exercise, yet you don't have to read. You can just go to safari and do a search for Anochi. If you find all the times the word Anochi is used by a person about themselves, not like in the Ten Commandments where it's used by the deity, it's always used in a sentence where the person is saying like the true stuff. You know, they're like getting right down to it, right? It's like a high stakes moment and, and they're, they're really they're really telling you something you know it, it it matters so the other way of reading it is that when you don't know yesha you're kind of disconnected for some from something deep within yourself some kind of deep truth right so I didn't know yeah Judy
0: is that equivalent to hineni? it just marks something that's a uh, a great awareness or presence.
1: I love that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, Hineni, I, I don't know about every instance, but many of the instances is said in response to being called upon. So it's a it's a it's a Yesh Adonai Ba makoma moment. Exactly the way I, I love that you said that. Yeah, that's right on, right? Um, and then, of course, the third way of reading it—you know—one is is I didn't know the anohi of God, and the second is I don't, I didn't, I, I was disconnected from my my truth, my Hineni. and the third way is, of course, is is just is just sweeping away that apparent distinction. So that's that's the waking up. That's the waking up. That's the waking up. Yes, Adonai and you can just take a moment. You can think about all of those meanings. You know, you can hold them together, right? What anoche is not known to you in this moment, and can you bring that to mind? So this is this is waking up. This is waking up in in, in the language and the imagery of the, of the Jewish tradition at its at its I would say uh, most critical moment, right? This is Jacob's awakening. Jacob is the namesake of the community of which we are a part um, Israelites. Yes. Um, he's, he's the Buddha of Judaism, right? But you could miss that because it's not called Jacobism. It's called Judaism, right? Um, and so uh, whoever wrote this story, uh, was trying to let us know something about their insight. This is, of course, this is not about Jacob. This is about the author. The author is disclosing something to us, I remember maybe in the first class, I said, you know, I I spend less time these days focused on what the words mean. Although, as you just heard, I do care about what the words mean, but more time on trying to figure out what what did the author have to know to write this? Right. So in this verse, the author is kind of disclosing something about what waking up means. Um, Now, waking up uh, is is. uh, fairly easy Mm, let me i'm fairly i'm gonna put that in quotes i mean first of all um unless you're you're in a you know an unfortunate health situation which you know uh is true for lots of people and probably will be true for all of us at some point or another if it hasn't already been you know we just wake up by ourselves right you go to bed at night and then if you're lucky you make it through the night (laughs) sometimes you get up a few times in the night but uh but the body, the body and the mind, just kind of it, it wakes itself up, right? It's, it is not. I mean, maybe except for setting an alarm clock, uh, either either an external alarm clock or the the alarm clock of the mind, we, we don't really engage in premeditated awakening. The awakening just kind of happens, um, and the same thing happens, I think, spiritually, right? Uh, it just, everybody has that experience uh, multiple times in their life they may not find the language of that verse to be resonant but you know you're walking down the street and you 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 have a uh as someone once said to me a moment of grace you know your mind is released from all the cogitating it likes to do and uh and you look up and you take in your surroundings and there's that feeling there's that feeling of openness and expansiveness and uh you know, and and if you're lucky, you don't realize it too quickly because then you get to kind of hang out there for a little while. But then, you know, usually what happens is you notice it and you go, oh, and then, and then in the noticing you look right. So that's how ha- it's happening all the time, all the time. It's happening in a punctuated way throughout our life. There's nothing, there's nothing unusual about this waking up. What's what's harder, of course, is staying awake. That's that's the more challenging piece. Some of us find that just in our regular waking lives. You know, you you just go through your day and, you know, you're sitting on a bench or you're in a meeting or you're on Zoom. And it's just a struggle with the body to stay awake. And as I already indicated, when we have those moments, um, sometimes, it you know, they're fleeting. Sometimes they're fleeting. Um, so what that means is, and, I, and I'm making, I'm proposing a theme. Thesis here. I'm proposing that wake up, do good are related to one another. Right? Wake up, do good. Now, some people are fortunate. Maybe you were raised in a in a family or an environment where doing good was just imprinted on your being. So that wherever you go, you do good. I mean, I know uh one such person, I, I know such a person. Um I was, I'm not such a person. I, I was not so fortunate in that way. You know, I, maybe like some of you, I grew up in complicated circumstances and, uh, and they all left, they all left, uh, their imprint on me. And so, you know, much of my, much of my life has been trying to work with the, those, uh, influences, um, to, uh, you know, to maybe turn down the volume of the of the, the unskillful influences and turn up the volume on the more desirable ones. Um and in, in my experience, I'm posing it as a theory that uh to some extent there is a relationship between the extent to which we're awake and the extent to which uh we are able to do or to be good. Um, and I'm gonna say more about that in a moment. Um but if that if that relationship is in fact uh, if it's in fact the case two are related, and maybe it's not the case for anybody else, but I'm going to say it is the case for me. Then there's a direct proportional relationship between my ability to do good and my and my awakenedness. So staying awake is really is really important. Um, I want to be uh, I want to be awake uh, for as long and as often as possible. So someone it was it was a private message, but someone asked, uh, "Does deliberately doing good keep you awake?" Yeah, I mean I like that. It makes sense to me that it's probably a two way street, right? Um, I think that that's probably true. Um, I think that it's probably true. I mean the the you know the mind body relationship uh, seems to be works in both directions, um, so that makes sense to me. So the question is if 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 we want to you know stay awake on proposing there's a value in that, you know, how do we do that? And so here's how I how how I came to this. So I showed you this picture a couple of weeks ago. You know, remember during I told you during the pandemic, um, I spent six months uh copying the Torah. I wrote, I wrote a chapter of the Torah every day for six months and uh six and a half months. And um I had this um I had this. I had many, many unexpected experiences, but I'm going to share one of them with you in particular. Well, you, as I'm sure you know, in the Jewish tradition, there is a taboo about writing God's names. You know that. Uh, and it's not just a taboo in orthodoxy, although it's more extensive in orthodoxy. It's a taboo throughout the Jewish world. Anytime you go to a class and someone writes God on the board, they write G-D, or when I read those letters of God's name before I said, you know, Adonai, but that's not really what they say, right? They say Yahweh, but we don't say that. And we don't, right? all these taboos about uh, about divine names. And there's a history to that, but that's not our job here today. Um, and I spent, you know, I don't know, a dozen or so years in the Orthodox Jewish community. So when I decided that I would copy out the Torah, I felt like I had this momentous decision to make. And that was how am I going to deal with the divine names? Now, as a technical matter, because I was writing entire verses and not only entire verses, but entire chapters and entire books, there's really no problem with writing those divine names because they're within, let's say, the kind of sacred context uh, in which they appear. But nonetheless, I had been I had been trained in the orthodox world to be very nervous about doing that and so i bef- i'd gotten my tools together i got the book and i got the pen but i spent about a week or so just thinking through you know how am i going to do this and i decided that i was going to go ahead and write write all the names out in full in a sharpie i wrote all the other words in a sharpie too um but the what i would do is before I would write any of the names, I would take a moment, and I would gather myself. That was the decision. Just okay. Here's a divine name. I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna take a breath. Now, what, what I was doing in that moment of gathering is hard to kind of convey. But you know, by the time I was writing that out, I had been thinking about these questions for 25 or 30 years, and uh, it's not to say that any of my ideas or any any good at all or any any better than anyone else's but i had conjured a kind of array of ways of thinking about what what these words might be about and um i guess i i i I had i was able to kind of bring them to mind in a kind of non-conceptual way in that moment okay maybe to put it into a bumper sticker like i just i just arrived at a moment of presence just presence right great so i'm doing this going along and i noticed that uh first of all that god's name various names show up many times in the torah maybe you know that many many times i mean in any in any chapter in in, large number of times so first of all i'm i'm pausing and i'm gathering myself and i'm coming to stay at presence i don't know like 5, 10, 20 times in a given chapter over the course of, let's say, an hour, an hour and a half that it took to write it out, right? Every day for six months, six and a half months. First, my first insight while I'm doing this, first I had this insight, you know, of course, you know, the idea that we don't say the names, you know, you learn, at least I learned, you know, because it's out of respect. And, you know, you you don't call your parents by their first names. We don't call God by God's first name, all this kind of stuff. Within a week or two, I started to realize, at least from my, from my own experience, that, that the opposite was true. That actually, the not writing and saying the names was actually creating a distance. And I felt like each time as I was writing the name out, I was like getting closer and closer. Actually, this kind of artificial wall that had been had been placed between myself and whatever that is, was kind of being removed. So that was really interesting Uh, and started to develop a sense of intimacy uh, with whatever it was I I had in my mind in those moments of presence. Then, and this I really only realized afterwards because I only really understood what had happened mostly, you know, three months later after I reflected on the whole thing. Then I realized that what I was really doing five, 10, 20 times a day for, for six and a half months was I was habituating, remember that definition of practice, habituating, right? Mm-hmm. I was habituating my mind to the presence of God. And what happened that I didn't anticipate, I had no idea what was happened. and I, I can report to you today, Wednesday, June 28th, 2023, and it's still the case, is that the mind remained habituated, which I would say is another way of saying staying awake. Right? Achen <laughs> yesh By the way, nothing nothing magical. I didn't have any out-of-body experiences. I didn't have special visions. I mean, I've had those experiences in other contexts, but none of that stuff, just kind of abiding present awareness to whatever it was I I, I had in my mind in those moments of gathering. So that was a really interesting insight that uh, maybe for the first time in my life, and that's probably because I'm a slow learner, I, I learned that your, your brain and your mind is like any muscle in your body. It just, it can be trained. It can be trained. Um, except I guess the difference is, is when you train your muscles, if you, put, if you stop going to the gym, the muscles, I guess, they atrophy and they go away. But it does seem, it's not to say I, I don't engage in some of these practices still, but it does seem like it's possible to habituate the mind in a way that uh, leaves some kind of abiding, State, uh, if if you do it long enough and over a long enough amount of time. Okay, so that's so that's staying awake. That's an example of staying awake. Um, and the practice I'm going to try to share with you today and next week and the week after are like things you 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 could try that I've that I've tried. I'm not going to suggest you copy the Torah. I mean, you could. It would be interesting, but I think there are other practices because I think what I learned was that the copying of the Torah was the, was the context. And there's something about the tactile experience and the encounter with sacred text. Ta- I mean, all of that stuff. But actually, it was the, just the, the, the multiple times a day bringing my mind to a certain place. That's what, that's what the practice was that, that achieved that kind of abiding, uh, a, a awakened state. And so I've been thinking for the last couple of years about are there other ways to replicate that? that don't require someone to copy out the torah because that's a that's a completely unrealistic kind of a practice for most people um i want to say a couple of other things and then we'll get to the practice so like i said you know there were no there uh, were no hallucinations or you know none of that stuff i didn't have any strange visions um out of body experiences like i said i mean i've i've had those experiences in other contexts but in this case that wasn't what was going on and that's what i actually want to i want to emphasize here that for everything i'm going to talk about for the rest of the course it's really not esoteric and i'm and i'm wary sometimes because i think i'm you know you talk about god or even things that sound mystical you know it it can it can make it seem like these things are are esoteric or mysterious and i really want to i really want to disabuse people of that of that notion let me just read you a couple of things from a lovely uh um uh source uh this stuff comes from uh, this comes from a guy named max kadushin who was writing you know in the last century um and he wrote about something called normal mysticism um and here's what he writes he writes normal mysticism By the way, which he contrasts with abnormal mysticism. It was the middle of the 20th century. I guess you could say that then. Normal mysticism is the experience of God unaccompanied by psychic phenomena such as visions or locutions. In order to achieve that kind of mysticism, a person must develop habits of action that are at the same time habits of sensitivity. But this is largely a matter of cultivation, of training. The psychological equipment required is only the sort called for also in ordinary day-to-day living, not that of any unusual temperament, right? Like you can go away and sit silently for 10 days, you know, in the Lotus position and you can, and you can conjure up extraordinary experiences. And I I recommend people do that. It's trip, but, but most of us have like regular lives. And so it has to be that the, the full realization of uh, of human wisdom on the let's say on the spiritual side of the ledger has to be accessible in my mind to people who aren't going to go disappear uh, to a retreat for 10 days because otherwise then it's just kind of an elitist exercise and I'm too much of a of a populist in that way to to believe that. Persons whose psychological constitution allows them to see visions and hear locutions are certainly not excluded. It's very important, right? He's not denying that these things happen. Of course they do. People have these things. Your mind is a very interesting place, right? In fact, the concept of Gilui Shekhinah, the revelation of the divine presence, in the concept of Gilui Shekhinah, the value complex give rise for such extraordinary phenomena. But that very concept is not completely in keeping with the nature of the value complex as a whole. That's a little complicated. Otherwise, all he's saying is is that you can have extraordinary experiences, but... It's like, um, there's a story that Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi told it's, uh, there's a recording of it on YouTube. You can see it. Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi was this kind of expatriate Chabadnik who did, who did acid with Timothy Leary in the sixties, you know, like interesting dude. And, uh, but he went back to see the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, I guess to like get his blessing for doing acid and, uh, As far as I know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe didn't give him his blessing, um, but he said to him, and this is the part that Zalman says in the story, the Rebbe said to him, he said, Zalman, remember, it's just an experience. (laughs) Right. So that's what I think what Kadushin is saying here, like some people can see visions. Of course, that's the case. Of course, that's true. Um, But those those are just experiences. Let's not let's not reify them or turn them into anything Anything necessarily special? Normal mysticism, he writes, is not infrequently accompanied by changes for the time being in the psychological constitution of the individual. Right. So he's saying it it can it can lead to some kind of change. Remember, if I've said that our doing good is connected to our the extent of our wickedness. Then, if I'm associating normal mysticism with being awake, then then we understand that the change could be a kind of a, a change in our desire to be a certain way in the world, right? The psychological constitution of the individual. Finally, just to define normal mysticism, the or is the ordinary experience of God available to everyone who has kavanah? The deliberate cultivation of an inward experience. And I realized, oh, that's what I was doing every time I wrote that name and I gathered myself. That's what I was doing. I was deliberately cultivating an inward experience, and the in, inward experience was of this. So that's what that's what we're talking about here. What I'm going to be talking about, right? These are not esoteric. These are not, you know, unusual phenomena or experiences. These are these are normal. We might even say mundane. Okay, and uh, and I and I'm just quoting this because I love it, and I'm supported by some of my favorite lines in, in the Torah. Right? Ki mitzvah hazot asher anochi mitzvah Right? This mitzvah, which anochi, now you know, you hear the word anochi, you hear all those meanings in there. This sacred obligation, which anochi is indicating to you today. Lo niflate timimcha, is not too baffling for you, nor is it beyond reach. Lo bashamaimhi, lemor miya lelanu hashamaima viyikachehalano viashmieni otach asena. It is not in the heavens that you should say, "Who among us can go up to the heavens and get it for us and impart it to us that we may observe it?" But lo meiver layamhi, lemor miya vorlanu el ever hayam viyikachehalano. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, "Who among us can cross to the other side of the of the sea and get it for us and impart it to us that we may observe it." No, the thing is very close to you. Very close. It's in your mouth. And it's in your heart to do it. It's right here. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to go anywhere else. Right there. Maybe maybe one of the most mystically realized sections of the Torah. Right? The thing that I'm talking about, the thing that this author is talking about, it's right here. And it's not like, I remember when, like years ago, when I was kind of, Early in my journey, and I would hear people say what I'm saying to you, to me, I thought, oh, they're like saying something that I need to hear behind it. And now I realize, no, they weren't. It's just just this. This is it. This is it. (laughs) It's right here. There's nothing else. Okay? Nothing else. So staying awake requires nothing other than that. Last thing. Oh, i got a chat here. Everyone is talented at something staying away could also mean using your talent. so I love that. I love that. Correct. Correct. Yeah, um here's what I want to say, Agla, about that. I'm just I'm just ta- I'm just you, you folks are kind enough that you showed up to listen to me talk about what I've figured out about what it is to be this. So either you could like want to try to do this or if you listen to Deuteronomy, just like figure out what it's like to be you and maybe I'm just modeling what it's like to, fi- right, to figure that out. Maybe maybe'm I'm not I'm not sure. And so maybe that, that's what I read in there about everyone's talents, right? Yeah, the point of this, the point, if it's not already clear, I'm not selling anything. I'm not recruiting anybody. I have no idea if this will work for you. This is just my way of trying to narrate, right? This this journey in which uh, the practice of Judaism retains some meaning, yeah, so i think that that's that's something there and judy wrote the deity is not expecting superhuman understanding or practice we can do it yeah yeah and 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 maybe if we get there what i want to do is i want to i want to uh i want to dissolve that distinction between the deity and we right that's the anohi right so uh, so absolutely right okay last piece and maybe this is this will get us to the dissolving um so that's about staying awake. Wait, anyway, what about doing good and being good? So I just want to share this with you because I think it's the final kind of theoretical piece. Just articulates it very clearly. Because so I want to I want to be as clear as I think I can be about where I'm coming from. So I love this. I read this recently, and I just thought it was such a, a perfect uh, um, expression. Um, I guess of what I think, but I, but but much better. I could never articulate it as well. So Avi Sagi, who's a philosopher in Israel, this is a translation, writes, the protagonist of ethic, the one who does good, right? The protagonist of ethic, the one who does good. Particularly, here's a fancy word, but don't worry about it. Particularly of the deontological ethic that places the concept of duty at its center. Right? A deontological ethic is exactly that. Someone, Deontology is like the study of duty, the philosophical study of duty. Someone who is deontological sees duty. As kind of central to, to their, their self-understanding, right? So I I I came I came to you know my midlife and realized, oh, I'm i I'm a kind of a deontological person, you know. Um and the idea of duty, the idea that one has a kind of responsibility that speaks to me, right? So the protagonist of ethic is the moral subject. The moral subject, the the the, the individual, the person who engages in moral actions. The moral subject's action is based on the recognition of the duty that as a rational being, he discovers autonomously. This is like the last verses from Deuteronomy. You don't have, in the the case I'm making, you don't have to go somewhere else or even have some some entity out there tell you that you have a duty to act a certain way. In fact, I'm suggesting that maybe, maybe, Maybe uh, embedded in, in aglaia's comment is this idea as well. In fact, there's something foreign about that. Actually, no, it, it should come from within. It comes from, from anokhi, right? It, it, it comes from within the sense that I have an obligation. This ethic marks the culmination of the individual's process of empowerment as an active agent and in a deep sense ascribes to her some of the characteristics ascribed to God, a free being who legislates her moral duties for herself and by herself. Right? This is a a complex philosophical expression of spiritual liberation. That's what this is. That's what this is. Right? I know in myself what is expected of me. Right, it comes from within, and in that, I am embodying. I'm actually manifesting in the in the most full way I possibly can, the aspect of me that is divine. Um, so when when we have the word mitzvah over here, ki ha mitzvah, the sacred obligation, it's not a mitzvah that some deity imagined to be out there separate from me is obliging me in. It's a mitzvah that Anochi is indicating right the the complex of 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 self other human divine and all and none of the above right so that's where that's where kind of we're coming from in this practice uh, uh, a deep grounding in one's own being a deep grounding in one's own being so let's uh, let's do a, a simple practice right simple practice deep grounding in one's own being so uh so first we've done this before just just find your feet just find your feet i mean you could look for them or you could touch them with your hands but if you have good uh interoceptive awareness you can just you know like the way you can cast the thing on your phone onto your tv you can just cast your mind down to your feet right isn't that lovely Uh, I don't know that I'll ever get bored of that. I can just feel my feet. Uh, I hope you can feel your feet. Um, And maybe if if you're in touch with your feet, you can feel there's just, I don't know what it is. It's hundreds or thousands or millions of just tiny little, little, you know, like pins and needles a little bit. You can feel all the way across. Uh, between the soles of your feet against whatever material they're inside. You know, like uh, the princess and the pea. You remember that story, right? So maybe you can feel like I can feel, I can feel the inside of my sock. I can feel the cushion that my feet are on. And I can feel the hard concrete floor that the cushion is on top of. So while you're sitting there, communing with your feet ask yourself a question so your attention is on your feet you know and if 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 a thought comes in just just acknowledge the thought but but let it know you're not going to pay attention to it you're just going to pay attention to your feet so while you're just paying attention to your feet you can ask yourself what is this that you can uh you could shift your attention. Let's cast it somewhere else. You can shift it now. Let's let's go to uh let's go to your, your visual field. So you can open your eyes and just uh just let your eyes rest on any object within your line of sight. And and just be aware that you're looking at it. looking at an object whatever it is and all of your attention is directed towards your visual field you can uh, you can look at the object and you can also be aware of looking itself and while you're looking at the object you can ask yourself what is this now just direct your attention to your auditory sense. You can, you can hear me talking, right? You can just hear the sound of my voice. You're not paying attention to anything else, nothing else. Just directing your attention to listening. And maybe you can hear my voice, but maybe you can hear other things. I can hear a little bit of traffic outside my garage, just on the street. Or maybe you can, maybe you're moving in your chair and you can, you can feel it squeaking. Or maybe you can hear, you know, your house, you know, the house creaks sometimes when your house is moving. You're just listening to what's coming in through your auditory sense. Nothing else. Just listening. Just listening. Listening and listening, and while you're listening, ask yourself, what is this? Get quiet enough. You might hear your pulse, maybe, in your ears. Or hear your heartbeat. Just wondering, what is this? My, I think my favorite text. I don't know if you're allowed to have a favorite, but uh, maybe it depends on the day. But I think my favorite text in all of Judaism is, uh, even though I this is a class about how to read the Torah, it comes from the Talmud, believe it or not, five words from the Talmud. Teach your tongue to say, I don't know. Teach your tongue to say, I don't know. I remember one time I was reading Krishnamurti. And uh, I don't remember where it was, and I don't have the book anymore, and I'm not going to find it. You know, he wrote so much, but he actually said, he said, try that as a practice. So Like, anytime someone asks you a question, first say, I don't know. (laughs) So I did that for six months. (laughs) For the first couple of days, people just thought I was strange. So I had to edit it. I would say, I don't know, but here's some words. You know, I mean, if they, of course, if they ask me some kind of transactional question, you know, I, uh, of course, but, but what I found was over time that was, I, I, I didn't know far more than I knew. That if I really listened to a person's question, I don't know, 97 times out of 100, I didn't know the answer. I really didn't know the answer. And so, uh, you know, teaching your tongue to say, I don't know right so this is practice 0 practice 0 is mystery practicing mystery right you could do a version of that practice as many times as you want a day what well, for, one, for one one time when i was doing when i was doing that practice from krishna i would just do it when i'd take a walk i'd take a walk i'd look at a bush i'd say what is this i mean first i would say but my mind would say a bush right but once i got beyond oh that's the label that's a constructed, turn out, right? Once I got beyond that, it was it didn't take long. It took about eight seconds. <laughs> what is this? I don't know. I'd look at a bus stop. What is this? I don't know. <laughs> See another person. What is it? I don't know. I just do that on a walk for five minutes a day. Just you could do it right over and over again. And in that practice, if you it requires no special effort, right? This is not an esoteric practice. Something might happen in our mind, you know we may uh, we may overcome this conceit that we know that we know, right. So we find this idea in the Torah very subtle ways, right? Actually first verse, right? This is really subtle, right? first verse, you know this verse right So the King James translation is right in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's the King James translation. Um, it's quite an arrogant translation. It suggests that we know what was go- what was in the beginning, <laughs> right? But the, the the Hebrew doesn't read that way, right? Barishit et aretz. Really, it's in the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. Like there was this period of time when things were being created, and in the beginning of that period, these things happened, right? It's a much more subtly humble statement, right? It's like. It's like what we get from the James Webb Space Telescope, right? Yeah, we, we can go back 13.8 billion years, but we don't know what happened 13.8, you know, right? We, there's still some realm of mystery. There's some realm. I love that, that the opening verse of the Torah doesn't, doesn't start with we know. It starts with we don't know, right? And, of course, the next verse is void and chaos, right? So that's, that's pretty obscure, but then it gets a little more explicit, right? You know the story. Right, this imagined story of paradise, yes. So the person who's writing the story is doing one of two things, right? Well, he's doing one of three things. The one thing the story that the author of the story is probably trying to do, or the editors of the story, and you know this because you've been to the last two or three classes, is is trying to assert the authority of the priests. So if you read the Torah as a, as a as a kind of a, a historical arc right you understand that the the primacy of place of the priesthood has its roots going all the way back to the creation of the universe right so that's a that's a kind of a political move that's an ideological move fine the second possible reason that the person wrote the story was they're trying to kind of give their best guess at how how this all got here like why it is the way it is that's called etiology right The third, and maybe this is just my projection onto it, but the third is a kind of, let's say, mystical, normal mystical, kind of mystical uh, attempt um, to let us know uh, not necessarily only why we got kicked out of the garden, but maybe how we get back into the garden, right? So it says here, right, why did he get kicked out of the garden? Because God says to Adam and Eve, right, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Right? So when you eat that tree, it's going to go badly. What do they do? They eat from that tree? They get kicked out of the garden, right? It seems that if you if you read it like a fable, it seems like the, the, the teaching of the story is if you want to get back to the garden, maybe let go of the conceit that you know the difference between good and evil. So that's a kind of, right? That's a kind of uh, a, a, a embrace of mystery. I, I don't know. I don't know. I know things some things are unpleasant, some things are painful. Something's tragic, but these categories—good and evil—tovara. Boy, that's you know, in the long arc, it's uh, I, I don't right. I'm gonna. So that's that's part of that mystery too. It happens again later, right, at another very dramatic moment in the Torah, right, when the, the golden calf. There's only one line of dialogue when the Israelites come to Aaron and ask him to build the golden calf, right. They come to Aaron and they say, make us a God who will go before us. Because Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, Lo we don't know what has happened to him. Their inability to abide in their not knowing leads them to build an idol. So there's, again, you have to read the story, like you have to turn it inside out. So if if you want to avoid idolatry, if you want to be a chen yesha adonai We don't know what's going to happen to anybody. We don't know anything. I mean, we know some things, but we know far less than we don't know. Right? We know far less than we don't know. So these stories are kind of, they're like breadcrumbs, like in Goldilocks. They're kind of leading us in a certain direction. Now, sometimes the stories are a little bit obscure. So the rabbis come along and they make it explicit, right? You know, the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah says 7 the seven characteristics of a wise person. One of them is, you know, when a person hasn't heard about something they should say, I haven't heard. <laughs> when you don't know, say you don't know. Instead of what most people do is just start talking, right? And then and then to close with, with my favorite, right? Teach your tongue to say, I don't know, lest you become entangled in a web of deceit. So that's the practice. That's the practice. The practice is, is the recognition of mystery. Mystery is um, pervasive. It's all around us. I mean, uh, I, one might even say it is defining uh, to, to make it crystal clear. I don't know what I am. I don't know what you are. I don't know what this is. I don't know where we came from. I don't know where we're going. But maybe, and Judy gave us the line, maybe, uh, and yet, Hineni. And yet, And maybe, in fact, maybe that's the point. It's the in our capacity to be open to mystery that we can say. Ah, shadunai so if you're if you're interested, uh, I would try that out for the next week. Just try them simple, right? Rest one of your senses on an object or rest your awareness on one of your senses and ask yourself, what is this?" and and give yourself permission to not know. Um, see how it goes see what happens be curious it's uh it's two o'clock any last uh, any last comments questions
0: you you said we are not uh jacobeans or whatever you would call it but we're we're Ju- we're jews we're we practice judaism but if you think about the roots of what judaism means that uh, Yehuda is someone who is grateful, and we are, you know, Bnei Yisrael. We are those who struggle with God. At the same time, we're Yehudim, and we're grateful. We look for gratitude in the world. We wake up and say, "Modet ani." So that's whole part of the, the the humility that you're. I think you're talking about. You, it, when you call yourself a Jew, you don't think about it, but m- maybe we should be thinking, uh, and that's part of waking up, is saying, why am I grateful and why am I a child of
1: struggle with God? I'm grateful for that comment.
2: Okay, so I'm just going to throw this out there also. Um Unfortunately, I'm the kind of person who says, oh, I'm going to do this practice or I'm going to do that practice or whatever. And then I forget completely about doing this (laughs) practice or that practice or like, you know, all that sort of thing. And I don't intend to. It's just that I do. And it's because I think there's a lot of noise going on, just a lot of noise going on in our brains, in my brain in particular though, but cause I'm talking about me though, but I think there's a lot of noise going on that causes us to like, you know, just get too distracted. So I'm kind of, um, you know, like just to throw this out there about distraction. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's you know, like, you're looking at the object and everything though, like I could actually like, okay. Like my mind immediately went to, there's nothing here. However, though there were weird thoughts that were trying to get in there, so <laughs> there was like, I don't know what's the what's the answer for this on the test or whatever. Though, if that makes sense,
1: uh huh, uh huh.
2: So I don't know yeah. if you
1: yeah yeah. Well, let's let me close with this. Um, first of all, uh, you know, you're not alone. You know, in intending and committing and then uh, doing something. I mean, that stuff is that's hard for for everybody. Um. I would just offer to close the advice, maybe from the most well-known biblical text in the Jewish tradition, and that's from the Shema, right? I mean, everyone spends a lot of time on the first and second lines of the Shema, but you know it's it's the fifth, sixth, and seventh or something like that, right? Um, Veshinantam um, bar right? You should repeat them to your children and you should talk about them. Right, and you should uh, talk about them when you go to bed at night and when you wake up in the morning. Right, and you should put a, a reminder next to your heart and a reminder next to your near your eyes, and you should have one on your doorpost and and by your gates. Yes, um, that instruction is there because the author of that text knows you, Aglaea, knows that we all have that, and so the, the instruction is very clear because we struggle to remember. We need reminders. So like, let me be explicitly practical. I'm sitting at my desk in my garage, right? I spend a bunch of hours every day at my desk in my garage, right? When I want to remember something, I put a reminder to myself on my desk in my garage. I have some notes here. I'm changing my diet. Here's my reminder for how I want to change my diet. I'm, uh, you know, I, uh, my the, the, the practice I'm currently engaged in, my current spiritual practice, how do you want to spend the time you have left? That's what I think about every day. That's what I want to think about, right? I have, rem- But at different times over the years, I've had different notes and I've done different things. And I've, I've used my phone and I've had alarms. And so... We live in an amazing time where we have these amazing tools. I mean, of course, post-it notes have existed for a long time, but the phone is there and other things are there. So if you were to pick one thing, doesn't matter what it is, if you were to pick one thing and you say, okay, what are five ways I could remind myself to do this thing in a given day? A post-it note by my desk, an alarm on my phone that has a name on it. This is the alarm to remember how to do this thing, you know, keep a... keep a note in my wallet that you can come up with them and then just, and then just set up those reminders. I have a high level of confidence. I mean, someone wrote it in Deuteronomy 2,500 years ago, right? I think it's still good advice. I have a high level of confidence that if you would set up those reminders that over a period of time, days and weeks, not months and years, you would find yourself engaging in those practices uh, on an ongoing basis. It's like, You know, you said, like, am I getting the right answer to the test or something like that? Like, and I don't don't know, uh, I want to be careful how I say this. Like, the point is, it should be simple. The point is, it shouldn't be complex. Once it's complex, that's the thing that makes us feel like we're not, we don't know how to do it. We're not good enough. It should be simple. So maybe, maybe the homework, and we'll leave it at that for today, is uh, whatever it is you want to work on. You can work on mystery practice. You can work on anything you want. Pick one thing and figure out what kinds of reminders will work with your type of being so that you can engage in that practice in a, in a, in an ongoing capacity and uh i have uh, i have complete confidence that uh that 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 everybody on this call and and others besides uh can succeed uh next week see you then thanks for joining us for this episode of the valley
0: beit Madrash podcast remember that you can join our email list at valleybatemidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemidrash.org donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.